I'm Brian Barnett. I'm just a regular guy. I'm not a doctor. I have no legal license in any field of psychology. But I did live a large part of my life with borderline personality disorder unknowingly. And I really did rid myself of the disorder completely and permanently. Through that, I've become an expert on issues involving emotional health. I accept no responsibility whatsoever for your feelings, thoughts, behaviors, decisions, and actions, including your decision to watch or listen to this show at all. But I do hope you might benefit yourself from the insights I share. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of The Last Symptom. Thank you for joining me this week. I'm looking at myself here in the camera. And it reminds me of a scene in my favorite movie of all time. Do you guys remember what my favorite movie of all time is? It's A River Runs Through It. I think it came out in 1994. A River Runs Through It, directed by Robert Redford. And there's a scene where Norman McLean comes back from college and visits his mom and dad uh, back in uh, Montana. And he's in his old room getting ready for supper and his mom comes in and he, he's been looking at himself in the mirror and he turns around and he says, do I look thin, mother? Because it's been a while since they've seen each other. And she looks at him and says, eh, do I look old, Norman? She speaks with, I think, an Irish or Scottish accent. Eh, do, I look, do I look old, Norman? Uh, I look pretty ragged to myself, maybe not to you. But I have puppies. I have a whole litter, like a litter of seven pups. And uh, they're just getting into their fifth week of life. And I am exhausted. I really am. It's so much fun. I mean, it's really so much fun. And I'm trying to revel in the moment. This may be the last time in my life that I ever have a litter of puppies think about that <laughs> I mean it's crazy for me to think about too I'm 48 I'm 48 now so the pups that I choose to keep potentially could be around way into my 60s but once I'm in my 60s I don't know I reckon I could do it all over again but it's a lot of work and uh, let me tell you a story. This is not in my outline today, but let me tell you a story about my love of being out in the wilderness and backpacking and uh, these excursions that I go on and this exploration and time out there that I go on year-round. Uh, I had an experience years ago. How old was I then? I, I reckon I was 36, 30, 36 or 37, and uh, was out in the middle of the winter time backpacking across this mountain range in I mean it was freezing to death freezing cold up there horrible conditions got into camp on that first night got started late on that day by the way so ended up backpacking through the dark uh, got to a camp where uh, a man was already up on the mountain and had a fire going and we said can we huddle around your fire he said yeah come on in so we did got chatting with him and everything and as we're sitting there chatting uh, another pair of people come in to the camp and said can we huddle around your fire and we all said yeah sure come on in and uh, so we all got to talking and getting to know each other and everything but what I remember about that is that the, the two guys who come in last were in their mid 60s every bit in their mid 60s and I just remember at like 36 years old or 37 years old looking at them and thinking my goodness what are they doing out here but do you know they handled themselves better than anybody knew what they were doing um, seemed to be perfectly comfortable up there and I mean the wind was howling across that mountain but uh, the next day 
uh, me and my brother and my buddy Jeff, we got up and had breakfast and everything, and we were, man, we were kind of beat up from the day before. And uh, we said, to the, the guy who had the fire going when we got there at first. Hey, what happened to those other two two old, older fellers? And uh, he said, oh, they, they took off about 10 minutes ago. So we threw our axle and everything, and we start down the trail, and we thought that we would just catch up to them in no time. Do you know we hiked at a very rapid pace all day long and never caught up to those old guys who were in their (laughs) mid-60s so I walked away from that experience saying to myself boy Barnett this is something you could potentially be doing far beyond what you would you you might initially imagine so anyway I really got off topic there but but that's that's a true story I hope all you folks out there are doing well the puppies are all doing great. If you're on our group over there on Locals, the last symptom dot locals, L-O-C-A-L-S dot com, then you've been able to see update videos about the pups and, uh, and those sorts of things. Uh, but they won't let me sleep. They've got to this point now where here, here's their s- cycle. They sleep a lot. Then they wake up and they play for a little bit and then they start crying for food. So they either get their mama's teat or they get puppy slush, which is just puppy food, you mushed, mushed. Then after that, they have to poop and pee. I mean like clockwork. Then after that, they play for just a little bit more and then they all pile on each other and they go back to sleep. And this cycle just repeats and repeats and repeats. But the cycle is getting shorter they're sleeping less and waking up more frequently which requires my attention so i just i can't sleep at night they wake me up at night and then i'm awake and then i i take care of them i try to get back to sleep and it seems like no sooner do i get back to sleep than they're waking me up again then the next day i try to fit in a nap can't get a nap in because they're they're waking up right at the time it feels like i'm just starting to slip into actual sleep so holy mackerel it's a it's a lot of work but like i said i'm trying to just live in the moment and enjoy it and uh you know with with a lot of success i'm just recognizing my my uh inherent limits as a person I, i i need sleep and i'm not getting enough of it poop poop everywhere uh woke up this morning man a lot of cleaning so the first thing that i did this morning when i woke up was just like the first two hours was just cleaning their space getting that all nice and tidy and everything and it it takes a lot of energy takes a lot of attention but i want you to pay attention to something about this whole story maybe you think i'm just telling the whole story about the pups and it's got nothing to do with nothing but it does did you notice that I began to pick up on patterns? Yes, I begin to pick up on patterns. Now, when I begin to pick up on patterns, does this offer me any advantage? The answer is yes. Incredible advantages. To give you an example, as I sat around thinking about this pattern, I realized that I would have a lot less cleaning to do if I set up a place in the yard where they could go to the bathroom and if I were able to catch them as they're stirring awake from their nap, I could get them outside where they could go and do all the pooping and peeing and feeding and all that stuff. You see before, it kind of seemed like this random, these random events that always ended up with lots of poop and pee and a whole huge mess that I had to clean up for forever and ever and took a lot of energy and time out of my day but once I realized the pattern I realized a better way of handling the situation now if I can catch them right when they're stirring awake I already know what comes next 
Do you remember what comes next? They start to play, and then they start to empty out their bowels, and they start to pee. Then they feed. Then they play for a little bit more, and then they do what? They go back to sleep. And the cycle repeats itself all day long, every day. How can I use that to my benefit? Here's how. This morning, I put in two hours of work into cleaning up their living quarters, right? But then I realized, if I catch them, so when they start to wake up, if I can get them and take them to an outside play area where then they can do all that stuff, potentially, I won't have anything to clean up in that crate. It's just like crate training, but before they're of an age to be in a crate by themselves so it's a a consistent routine that if I pick up on their patterns then I can exploit and I'd like to emphasize that word exploit we think of it in a negative connotation I think a lot of times start thinking of it in a positive connotation because that's what I'm doing now I'm exploiting their regular routine, their the regular pattern that they go through every day. So I did it all day today. I paid attention. When the first pup starts to stir and starts to bite and play with his six other litter litter mates who are all still asleep, I know that this is the sign that all of them now are going to begin to wake up. And lo and behold, if I just wait two minutes, that first puppy that woke up will wander out into the living quarters and look for a place to poop and pee. So I watch him. I get that first pup. I take him out. And what I did was I I blocked off a portion of my yard, and I consider that their like play area outside. Now, I don't know what I'm going to do if it's raining. <laughs> Don't ask me about that. And then, then there's just nothing I can do. There's going to be a lot of cleaning up to do. But today was a very nice day. A lot of nice days uh, in the forecast. First pup wakes up. All the other pups start to wake up. That's my cue to scoop them up, take them outside. Sure enough, probably six times today, we went through this this cycle where I saw them stir. They started to wake up. I went over, I scooped them up, took them outside into this fenced-off area where I could put them in there, where they could poop and pee to their heart's delight. And then I come back, I get the grab a couple more, take them out, and come back, grab a couple more, take them out. And uh, then they go into their hunger mode. Now they want their mama's titties. Uh, they want their puppy mush. All right, so they do that. Then they play for a little bit more, and then they all go and gravitate toward, toward one corner there, and they start to pile up and go back into their nap. That's when I bring them back in. I put them into their living quarters. Some time passes. One of them begins to stir, starts to play around, biting and tugging on one of the other's ears. That's my cue. Scoop them up, take them outside. They play, they poop, they pee. They get hungry, they eat. They play a little bit more, and then they gravitate to a corner, and they start to nap again. So here's my question for you. And it's interesting because my daughter today, when I was talking to her and I was explaining this to her, she says, man, that sounds like what we're studying in school. I said, what are you studying in school? She said, patterns. I said, that's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. I don't know what you guys are learning, but picking up on patterns can give you a tremendous advantage so back to the question i was about to ask you do you exploit patterns to your benefit in your efforts toward authentic recovery from emotional health issues or overall self-improvement do you exploit them do you take note of the natural cycle that they go through and then figure out how to exploit that to your benefit for example if you know that your natural cycle 
involves you white knuckle trying to treat people well for a period of time and then after that needing time to yourself to get off to yourself because you're exhausted from that act that you've been putting on of not trying of trying not to be abusive or uh, crude or mean to people do you recognize that after a period of socialization when somebody wants to have a serious discussion with you about something or a discussion that you see can potentially get you upset do you put it off do you say I'm not going to have this discussion right now because I know my cycle I know the natural pattern of my life of what's going on inside of me what I need and those sorts of things at this stage in where I'm at so do you have the wisdom to do that to say you know what honey uh, uh, or buddy my, my friend let's talk about baseball instead or let's change the subject for now because you recognize where you're at in that cycle and it's not an ideal time given the cycle exploit it folks until you get to a place where you're healthy and some of these underlying things aren't uh, don't have so much power over you anymore there's nothing wrong whatsoever with exploiting the natural pattern or the natural cycle of things this week and uh, last week I've had some really interesting discussions I mean really truly pleasant constructive and interesting discussions with folks and so I'm gonna throw some things out here that we talked about to hopefully benefit all the rest of you. Before I do that, let me tell you about thelastsymptom.com. That's my website full of free and paid resources. It truly is the paid resources that have allowed me to do this as long as I have. It is the paid resources that will continue allowing me to do this as long as I have. So if you haven't yet, run over to thelastsymptom.com. Take a look at what those paid resources are. There's a lot of free resources there, too. And uh, see if there's not something there that uh, you feel might benefit your life. Of course, the crown jewel of all those paid resources is The Last Symptom. Two-week online pre-recorded fundamentals course. The Last Symptom Fundamentals course. It's no different than taking like a college course online that's pre-recorded it works with your schedule it is a comprehensive course designed to give you every insight that I myself was working with in order for me to go from a person living with borderline personality disorder to a person living free of it completely and authentically I hold nothing back I share literally every insight that I build off of now the purpose of the course is not to cure you the purpose of the course is to give you every insight necessary for you to cure yourself so there will be some building up building off of the things that you learn in that course but if you want a lightning leap forward in your efforts then the Last Symptom Fundamentals course is what you want to look at, and that's available at thelastsymptom.com. All right, let's move on to the rest of the discussion today. Entropy. Uh, I like that word. I don't. I don't know why. Entropy. Do you know what entropy is? I think it's the second law of thermodynamics. But like many things that exist out there to explain the universe and life and you know physics and Einstein and science and I I just I love it all I read it I think about it I apply it to as many things as I can but lots of things out there to explain the nature of the universe that you and I live in and entropy is one of them entropy is so interesting it says that things tend toward disorder think about that entropy says that the natural tendency of things 
if left on their own, is to trend toward disorder. So, to illustrate that, if I throw down a, a bunch of two-by-fours, a bunch of two-by-fours, a bunch of lumber, I just toss it out in the woods somewhere, its tendency is not to arrange itself into a house. In fact, that's impossible. I know what science says. They say that if you wait a long, long enough time and give it enough variables, that will happen. No, that's bull hooky kachuki. But what is the tendency of that lumber in those two by fours? If the tendency of, of all that lumber is not to arrange itself over time into a house, what is its tendency? Its tendency is to sit there and rot. Yeah, it goes from these nicely shaped two by fours and lumber into a rotted mess. There was a, a series on television not too long ago, and I didn't see it, but I, I caught like clips of it on uh, YouTube. It was all about what would happen if, you know, you just left like these major cities, like people all fled these major cities. And what would happen over the course of one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and so forth. It was just amazing to see because they had, they used like CGI to show you what potentially, probably would, would happen. And it's just like the earth overtakes them. So you take like a city like New York City or Mexico City or any major huge city in any environment and the environment just takes over I mean things fall apart so fast that's entropy things tend toward disorder very quickly too by the way uh, I'll tell you if I don't uh, go around my house with a lawnmower and a weed eater and get down on my hands and knees and pull weeds and cut stuff I have a a, um, a walnut tree a black walnut tree that keeps trying to sprout out of the front of my house. It's right down, right where the ground and the house meet. And somehow a black walnut seed got in there and sprouted a trunk. And the previous owners, when they cut it, they cut it like that high. And I can't get any lower than that to, to cut it out and root it out. So every spring, the thing sprouts. And, uh, I mean, if I don't get to it right away, I'm not kidding you, in just a few weeks, I've got practically a full baby tree growing out of the side of my house of a black walnut. It smells so good, by the way. When I was uh, growing up in Appalachia, there were uh, a few black walnut trees around, and uh, my dad would send me down the road to those trees. They would drop... I don't know if you uh, city folk have seen what a black what walnuts look like uh, when they don't come from the store. They look like big green balls. <laughs> That's what they look like. And then what you do, or what we do in the, in the country, is we collect a bunch of those and we throw them into like a black, huge black trash bag, bring them back to the house, and we just sit them in the corner of the yard where they sit in that bag and they just rot so th there's this, the the big green ball is like a covering over the nut itself that all has to rot away and then the nut is exposed you know what a walnut looks like in its shell it's got that extremely hard shell around it Th and then that's what you're left with and you got to clean all those up and get those away from all that stuff now here's something i'll tell you about black walnut you know, now I think about it, I never thought about this before, but it, a black walnut, like when it comes down in the green ball, which is the fruit that grows on the tree, that is like a, a peach. And the walnut itself would be like the pit inside the peach. So think about all the flesh of a peach. That all has to rot away so that you get to the pit of the of the peach. And that that's pretty much what a wild black walnut is like but anyway that, that casing around the walnut 
as that rots it turns into this black dye and uh, you can actually take that and boil it so you can boil the husks of the the black walnut and turn it into a, a black or a deep brown dye and uh, I've seen that done my my uncle beetle who you heard me talk about uh, has done that and he actually has a door at his house that he stained using that black walnut dye and it's, it's real pretty but anyway we were talking about this entropy right if I don't maintain my property my house those sorts of things these things happen very fast entropy happens very fast it my, my house if I didn't touch it for a year it it would look like it had been abandoned for 20 years with black walnut trees growing out of the foundation and all sorts of things so any any of you homeowners probably know what I'm talking about entropy a trend to disorder a process of degradation some examples of that is that the, the universe, scientists say that the universe is in entropy. Eventually everything will, will die. If allowed to go in the, in the course that it is currently taken, and if nobody were to interfere, the sun would burn out. The universe would continue to expand until planets and stars and everything so far apart that they, they have no influence on one another and then each star would eventually burn out each planet would die the earth would die our sun would die and the oceans would boil away and stuff like this that's if you're to believe scientists but scientists historically have very little faith in God and the Bible and the Bible assures us that the earth will always exist. Not only that, but that people will always exist on the earth. So apparently, what we're talking about when we're talking about entropy is what would happen were God not to intervene. Right? But it is the nature of the universe. This entropy, without God's uh, interference and in intervening, this is the natural course things would always go in. Where am I going at with this? Well, before I tell you, let's talk about a couple more examples. Language. Did you know, this is something really, as a person who's interested in languages, and um, I'm somewhat of a, of a linguist. I consider myself more of a linguist than an interpreter, although other linguists would probably <laughs> uh, disown me because I don't have the schooling for it but you know I do study languages uh, I've been doing that for 20 years now and uh, looking at similarities between languages and these sorts of things uh, differences between languages fascinates me did you know that societies who have had very little contact with the outside world so these are societies that we consider like um, wild or uncivilized cultures so, for example, some of the indigenous tribes out in the Amazon rainforest. Do you know that there are Indians living out in the Amazon rainforest? Maybe you prefer the term native Brazilians or I don't know what, whatever floats your boat. Indians have had no contact with the modern world. It's interesting that their languages, when studied, are incredibly more complex than our modern English, our modern languages, modern Spanish, modern French, modern Russian, and so forth. Now, even some modern languages are more complex than others. Uh, I think Russian, for example, is pretty complex compared to English and Spanish. Of course, I'm, I'm fluent in both English and Spanish, and I've been studying Russian off and on for about uh, over a decade, but you know, when I do study it, the fascinating part about Russian for me is its complexity. I'm fascinated by a complexity of language. It's just what you can do with language. And, um, you know, there's certain things today I, I prefer to read in, in Spanish. Uh, absolutely. For example, I'll give you an example. I prefer to read the Bible in Spanish. Uh, do you know why? Because the same passage in Spanish... Will, will provide me more immediate information than the English equivalent will. 
For example, in an English Bible, when the Bible writer is ref- it says you, you don't immediately know from the word itself whether he's referring to a group of people or if he's referring to one individual. In Spanish, you know it immediately from the word. You don't need any context. The word itself tells you if he's speaking to multiple people or just one person when he says you. So different languages have different complexity, but the older languages, if you think about English, even 100 years ago, and certainly 200 years ago, the English they were speaking back then, definitely more complex than the the English we speak today. So what have we seen over the years? Think of all the words that we have just allowed to go extinct because we say, well, we don't need them. We've got other words that express close enough to that. What have we seen with language? We see a dumbing down. And it's interesting that these ancient languages and these indigenous languages are much more complex than our modern civilized languages. So I think, I don't know if I followed up the thought, but when they make contact with these indigenous tribes like out in the Amazon and stuff like that who have never had any contact with the outside world, what they find is that those languages are much more complex. I mean, incredibly complex compared to what we speak. What is that? That's entropy. A trend to disorder or a process of degradation What's another way you can say that? Dumbing down. Yes, entropy is dumbing down. And um, are we seeing that with language? Well, browse the internet today. After you get done and listen to this show, browse the internet today. And you tell me what people are celebrating and using the most. Uh, the, the entire vocabulary of the typical internet user, I think, today is probably, it would not surprise me if it's under 100 words. A hundred words of the basic vocabulary that they use every single day. The F word being at the top of the list. It gets used for everything. And people think it's so clever. And I don't think it's clever at all. I think it's a an indication of entropy. You're not smarter you're not smart enough to express it in another way, so you resort to this catch all. This catch all which is the F word. Uh, this is not a attempt for me to shame you or anything like that if you're somebody who uses the F word. But, you know, I'd like to think that I have a pretty intelligent audience. And I'd like to encourage you, every time you have the tendency or the, the, the urge to use the F word, see if you can't find another way to express the same thing. I mean, in another 10 years, that, that word will have no meaning. It, it will have lost all meaning. It won't have any power it'll just have lost all meaning people will be using it for everything and um, it's just I hate it I hate that word and uh, you know I'm, I'm not to, I'm not saying that I've never used it myself there was a time where I, I did uh, but I regret it because even I at that time was going through the process of entropy fortunately I've halted it I've reversed it and I've gone in the other direction. Just like if if no interference were to take place between the entropy happening in the universe, if, if God were not to step in and repower the sun and do something with the universe to keep it from going in the direction it's going, then the end results would be unavoidable. The, some interference or some stepping in and taking action to counter the entropy must take place if this universe is to survive, which, you know, I, I have no doubt that it, it will because uh, I'm a person of faith. But in that same way, if you don't step in to counter the entropy happening in your life all the time, uh, it's like the, the maintenance on your house. Entropy will occur. It will. It's, it's the law of the universe. So are you doing that? Are you stepping in 
and reversing that natural process. Think about uh, the way we write. I'm not embarrassed to tell you <laughs> that I, I can't write in cursive. I can't do it. I was a cartoonist back when I was in school and all that, and uh, you know, you never see cartoons in cursive, so I always valued uh, non-cursive writing as an as kind of like a, an art form. So that's what I put all my energy into. I learned the cursive enough to pass tests in school, and then never used it again. When I went to get take my driver's test, uh, I come back, I pass the test. The guy who did my driver's test for me, he shoves a paper in front of my face, or I sign this, he says. And I wrote my name in print, Brian Barnett. And he turned the paper around, looked at that, and he spun it back around and very angrily said, you sign that, you sign it, not print, you sign it. You're not going to get anywhere in this world if you can't sign your name to something. And uh, I don't know if he's just having a bad day or what, but um, from that day on, I come up with a signature. Now, it's, it's ugly, but I, I come up with it. And ever since that day, yeah, it was when I was 16, I have signed my name. But was he right? Was it necessary? No, no, it wasn't because of entropy. You're not legally required to sign your name anymore. You can print your name. So he, he was wrong about that. He did not take into account entropy, a dumbing down in society. How about uh, societies, families? Do you look out at the world and see entropy in play? Of course you do. Of course you do. The things that are tolerated and even celebrated today would never, never have been tolerated or have much less celebrated 50 years ago. They would not have been. Now, a lot of people think that that is a progression, like a positive progression, but is it? How many suicides per year do you think there were 50 years ago? I don't know, um, but I wouldn't bring it up if I weren't confident that it's much less than it is today. How many school shootings do you think there were 50 years ago compared to today? I don't know, but I wouldn't bring it up if I weren't confident that it's much. it was much lower than it is today. How many divorces were there 50 years ago compared to today? Again, I don't know. All I know is I wouldn't bring it up if I weren't confident that it was much less than it is today. How many people do you reckon died of drug overdoses 50 years ago uh, compared to today? I don't know. All I know is that it was less than what it is today. There's no question that when you look out at society, there is entropy happening. And so think about that word entropy as you look out at the world. That wasn't me. It sounded like a fart. That wasn't me. I was one of those pups over there trying to humiliate me. Uh, and, and I like that. that. That is some nice spirit right there. Maybe I'll end up keeping that one. Um, emotional health in general. Do you think that there were more emotionally unhealthy people 50 years ago or more emotionally unhealthy people today? There's no question. There's no question about it. I don't even have to see the, the graphs and, the, and everything like that to know that more, there are more emotionally unhealthy people today who broadcast it to the world proudly and celebrate it. I mean, they, they actually have festivals to, to things that, to emotional unhealth, to emotional disorder, to people who are deeply, deeply troubled and unhappy. 
and they celebrate it. That wasn't happening 50 years ago. I know that for a fact. So entropy. Maybe that's a conversation we'll have uh, in the future to a much greater degree. Now here's something I want to talk to you about, spatial disorientation. Some of you know that uh, one of my uh, profound interests in life was uh, aviation, is aviation. And, um, you know, for example, when uh, Kobe Bryant died in in that helicopter crash, I read and researched everything I could on that, not because I'm a demented guy, not because I celebrate anybody dying, but because of the aviation interest that I have. I wanted to understand what what happened. That you know, this very experienced pilot, what happened? And um, it's interesting that uh, it, it had to do with spatial disorientation. I, I believe that's what they call it. Do you know what it is? Spatial disorientation is this phenomenon that happens that involves your inner ear. So think about like if I put a a I throw down a two by four on the on the ground and I say close your eyes and see if you can walk across this this two by four. It's not even up in the air, it's down on the ground. So you're not gonna hurt yourself if you if you you know walk off of the two by four. You close your eyes, what are you relying on at that point to walk across that two by four? To walk the length of that tube, like you're doing a, a drunk driving test. You've been pulled over by the sheriff. What are you relying on? You're relying on your inner sense of balance. And what is that? Where's that being born from? Where does that come from? It comes from your inner ear. So as you're walking across that board, you're paying attention to the sensations within your body that says, I'm leaning too far to the left or I'm leaning too far to the right, and that allows you to correct yourself and get across the the 2 by 4 right? Do pilots have that happening inside of them when they're flying? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So there's two types of instrument ratings or license ratings when, when you're a pilot. One is visibility. So this is if it's a beautiful blue day and you can see the ground below you. And so you're looking out your window of your airplane. You see things. You see everything in relation to another. You can see. Then there's instrument rating. Uh, and this is what, um, this is like a next level thing that allows you to fly in the dark and fly in clouds and those sorts of things. This is when you can't see anything around you. Uh, I've been on many flights when we're coming into a landing and you just can't see anything you're looking out the window there's nothing you can't see anything it's just white because you're in the cloud that's when the clouds are low hanging you know low hanging and high in the sky and so as you're approaching the the airport the plane goes into the cloud and you can't see a thing well how are those pilots flying they're flying based on their complete confidence in their instruments Instruments, and that's called instrument rating. Rating. Rating, Jenny. I miss you, Jenny. That's my Forrest Gump reference every time I have to emphasize the G in a word. Rating. Rating, Jenny. There's this thing that happens. It's called like the uh, death spiral. Have you ever heard of that? All pilots know this. If you're a pilot, you know this. When you're in the cloud, or it's completely dark, you can't see any lights, and you're flying blind, what do you have to rely on? Your instruments. But did do the sensations in your body go away? No, they don't go away. So what happens is that you feel like, if you're the pilot, that you're flying right side up in a straight line, and everything is fine. But did you know that in reality, if you're just relying on the sensations within your body, your inner ear and all that, you could literally, because of the forces in, uh, upon you in flight, they're so deceptive, 
you could actually be your plane the entire plane could be upside down and you can be flying in a circle headed down and if you're just relying on your own internal system of orientation you would have no way of knowing it no way because you're sitting there and every indication within your body is telling you that everything is perfectly fine it's incredible this phenomenon but you're in a spiral and you're you're upside down the plane is upside down and you're going in a spiral like a a, a downward tornado uh, shape until you crash into the ground and you die that's called the spiral death uh, or the death spiral I think it's fascinating it's fascinating to think about um, even very experienced pilots which it seems like this happened with the pilot that uh, was flying Kobe Bryant's uh, flight happened he was very experienced but it appears like he he trusted what was going on in his body more than he trusted his instruments why is that a problem it's a problem because what's going on in your body can lie to you but your instruments very rarely do there there can be malfunctions with one of the instruments maybe two of the instruments but can all of the instru instruments be lying to you at once no but even very experienced pilots will look at their instruments and say the instruments are saying that I'm right side up and flying fine but that's not what I feel inside of me what I feel inside of me is that I'm we're, we're, we're hurling toward the ground that's terrifying isn't it so what do they do they ignore the instruments and they depend on their internal orientation system and make decisions based off of that and it kills them isn't that fascinating on the exact flip side they will look at their instruments and their instruments will be saying that you're in terrible danger you're in terrible danger you must correct right now and they they check with their internal orientation system and they say I don't feel that at all I don't feel that at all no it, the instruments can't be right I must be flying fine because everything I feel inside of me is telling me so but guess what they die they die because the instrument was not lying to them their inner ear was lying to them all the sensations in their body were li was lying to them and they crash and they die so here's my question for you have you begun practicing listening and having faith in and complete confidence in your instruments or are you continuing to live in a way that you default to always trusting what's going on inside of your body what are your instruments and when we're talking about what's going on in your body what are we talking about when we're talking about what's going on in your body we're talking about your feelings your emotions when we're talking about your instruments what are we talking about we're talking about the healthy laws and principles we always discuss here what are what are some of them what are some of these healthy laws and principles that make up your instrument panel within your airplane I won't list them all but here's just a few of the the basics the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority what does that law explain to us it explains to us where your power exists and where it doesn't exist where your rights exist where they don't exist where your authority exists where it doesn't exist if you make a decision for your life if you make any decision at all can I just accept that you have a right you have the right responsibility and authority to make that decision for yourself or do I try to step outside of mine and assume yours how about the uh, calm assertive communication behavior style is there ever a time where passive-aggressive 
communication behavior style is the is the answer no but do you see how inside your body your feelings might be telling you no no in this circumstance in this circumstance calm assertive is not going to cut it calm assertive isn't going to cut it I need to ignore my instrument panel and trust what my feelings are telling me or how about the law of individual inherent rights responsibility and authority that we just mentioned uh, you ever look at like your uh, sister your grown adult sister and you say she's making decisions for her life that are not good for her not good for her I need to step in and save her she hasn't asked me to help her she hasn't asked for my advice she hasn't asked for my opinion or anything but I need to step in and correct her what's that an example of it's an example of ignoring your instrument panel and saying my feelings my feelings got it right this time the instrument panel doesn't I'm gonna ignore the law I'm gonna pay attention to my feelings my feelings got it right this time gotta trust the feelings what what happens when you when you've done that you're in the death spiral what what happens when you say calm assertive is not the way to go right now I'm going to do it another way you're ignoring the instrument panel you're in the death spiral how about the law of forgiveness I've never named it that before so this is the first time you're hearing that but the law of forgiveness explains when it is appropriate to give forgiveness when it is not you cannot <clears throat> healthfully give forgiveness in circumstances where the conditions for forgiveness have not been met but you say to yourself I'm going to ignore my instrument panel because whatever reasons your feelings tell you what's happened you're in the death spiral you cannot live contrary to healthy laws and principles and not end up in the death spiral in other words you can't do that and avoid hitting a mountain you can't how about the law of acceptance versus denial you say in this case in this case it doesn't apply I'm going to trust my feelings this time I'm going to ignore the principle and the law uh, the principles and the laws and I'm going to trust my feelings this time around what happened you're in the death spiral you're you're going to hit a mountain if you don't correct immediately How about the law of ability versus capacity the law of ability versus capacity you say in this case it doesn't it doesn't apply no there's it doesn't apply because of why why would anybody convince themselves that in one case or another case or this case or that case laws and principles don't apply because of their feelings what are the laws and principles there are instruments we have to trust in them 100% and if you do let's say that the the guy flying uh, Kobe Bryant in the helicopter what do you think would have happened if he would have trusted completely in the instruments that day he would have landed he would have landed they would have all been alive but that's not the only result when he walked away from that helicopter what would he have now that he lacked before more faith and confidence in his instruments wouldn't he but apparently he didn't do that apparently what happened was that he trusted more in his feelings now I'm not talking about his emotions I'm talking about the sensations within his body but it's the same principle when you <clears throat> successfully encounter a test and your mind goes directly to the laws and principles that you have been studying and working so hard on and your feelings are telling you no no handle it this way but you completely throw your trust and confidence into the laws and principles your instruments your instrument panel and you guide your decisions by those and your behaviors by those you never get a bad result you never get a bad result you always get a better result than if you relied on your feelings and 
The natural consequence of that is what? The natural consequence is that you walk away with even more confidence in your instruments. I was just talking to somebody earlier tonight, and this is not meant to embarrass her if, if she's listening. Uh, I'm sure she will be because she's a hard worker, hard worker in this and completely committed to the process. But but she ignored the instruments. She, she ignored the instruments. The result was a, a poor result. Now, is that terrible? Well, it's not healthy that she did that, but considering that everything we do like every interaction we have with life is bad in practice what should be the thing she takes away from that the thing she should take away from that is i hit the mountain i flew my airplane right into a mountain but thank god i'm still alive and the next time i fly that plane this is another opportunity for me to next time trust more in the instruments what will happen when she trusts the instruments she'll never get a negative result not for trusting the instruments now there are certain situations where you know we have we have limited control i mean we have control over ourselves we don't have control over the world we don't have control over the universe and we don't have control over other people but in general the results she will get back for trusting her instruments will be an improved result in comparison to whatever results she would have gotten otherwise if she had ignored her instruments right so I don't want to give you the wrong idea that people living by healthy laws and principles just never su- suffer any frustration in life or anything like that no because uh, you're surrounded by you're surrounded by and dealing with people who have free will and are have their own inherent rights responsibility and authority you know there, there are things out of your control but the control you do have is over yourself and so you just you look at yourself and you say how am i going to control myself and then you pay attention to the results i cannot ignore fundamental laws and principles of emotional health and get a good result i can't if i do always apply always base my my behaviors and my decisions and and everything what i say what i do on the healthy laws and principles of emotional health will I always end up with a rainbow and a pot of gold not always because there's a lot of factors outside of my control but what I can assure you is that you will end up with a better result than you would have if you had ignored your instruments it's always an improvement it might not always be you know the most spectacular thing to your preference but it's always an improvement over the alternative so folks every day of your life is an opportunity to put these instruments to the test and grow your confidence in them that's what i did over seven years and more i'm still doing it it's been a lot longer now you know uh, at, at the end of seven years by the way uh, of my recovery of my authentic recovery from my emotional disorder at the end of those seven years I did not stop in my growth it's just seven years is where I I reckon I finally got the final you know tentacles of that terrible disorder out of my system permanently but I've not stopped applying those things I've not stopped growing I've not stopped learning what happens then when you stick faithfully completely and always to the laws and the principles that form emotional health the natural result is that of that is that you get a better result and the natural occur naturally occurring result of that is that your confidence in your instruments grows so that the next time when you're faced with a situation the, the decision between listening to your feelings or guiding yourself by your instrument your instrument panel uh, becomes much easier so there's something to think about never thought that we would only get that far in the discussion that i had planned today because i had a lot more planned to talk about but that'll do it that's the show join us over there at logos uh, thelastsymptom.locals.com and you'll be able to follow me and 
hear these sorts of discussions and follow these sorts of discussions throughout the week rather than just once every couple weeks. And uh, I'll talk to you guys real soon, hopefully. Take care.